All right, welcome to this episode of Run Past the Brain Cell. I'm Adam Skirko, as always, joined by Jake Miller. Jake, how you doing, buddy? Pretty good. It's already halfway through the season, and it feels like shit is going way too quick, if I'm being totally honest. We've it's going seen really fast. lots. Yeah, we've seen a lot of ups and downs. Some teams in the Caleb Williams, Drake May, and Marvin Harrison sweepstakes, and some teams just refuse to die. Yeah, some teams are just, for some reason, they're holding on for dear fucking life, and then some of them are just accepting what they are, which is either mid or just straight trash. Hello, Carolina Panthers. But, hmm. Jake, we're going to start things off with our Eyes on 5 recap of week nine and starting off with your first game what was it again my first game was actually the falcons versus the, the minnesota vikings aka the joshua dobbs game guy was flung in there after their backup rookie jaron hall led a really good first drive but unfortunately got knocked out with concussion and dobbs came in with only like one week of playing, two touchdowns, three touchdowns actually, two passing, one rushing, 158 on the in the air. Not that impressive, but two, uh, 67% completion rating. You'll take that. And kind of showing his legs a little bit with seven attempts for 66. I think that the defenses played just good enough, but the Falcons really kind of did a choke artist job again. The whole Bijan Robinson thing with Arthur Smith is perplexing to me, and I don't know what the hell he is smoking. It's one of those things, it's kind of like, dude, you're acting like fucking Adam Gase, just with a better roster. <laughs> to be honest, Adam Gase might be better. Yeah, Jake, Arthur Smith, I think he... I've never seen a guy who goes out and says... He hates fantasy football and then does everything he can to the detriment of his team just to prove his point. Bichon had 11 carries. Tyler Algier had 12. Fucking Jonu Smith had one. And then Jonu Smith was their leading receiver. Kyle Pitts had five targets. He had a solid game, four catches, 56 yards. But Bichon only had two catches. And Jake... I'm sorry, can we check and see if Drake London still has a pulse? Because I swear, he must be dead to Arthur Smith. This this dude's this dude wants so badly to be thought of as Bill Belichick, when to be honest, I think he would... Jake, I think he'd wish being Adam Gase, because at least Adam Gase got to work with a solid quarterback and had Peyton Manning vouch for him. Arthur Smith... Only reason why he got the job was because people saw, oh, Derrick Henry can run really well. And then he's decided to use literally everyone else but his best running back or best weapon as a whole. But on the Minnesota side, Jake, they only got one sack, which is very concerning. This is a defense that, I mean, Daniel Hunter was basically shut out. I mean, he had a tackle for loss, but even still. And then... I love how Joshua Dobbs is playing and the fact that he didn't even know the cadence. He didn't know the playbook. He didn't know his receivers last names or first names, whatever. They didn't, he didn't even know their names to be able to come in on, you know, about five days notice and deliver a performance like he did. Now it wasn't without a few flaws. He did fumble twice 
hence why the game was so close. But Minnesota, they're, I don't think they can make a wild card spot, but they're trying their fucking hardest because Detroit's only six and two, and I think they still have to play Minnesota one more time. I don't think so, but eh, you never know. And then the Falcons are just dead in the water, to be honest. I think fire Arthur Smith. You don't have a quarterback that you can trust. Taylor Heineke, he played okay, but that's not your future. Desmond Ritter wasn't even your present. He couldn't have been your past, so he's not your future either. I think they are out of the Caleb Williams sweepstakes, but, I mean, Penix is a possibility. You would probably look at the JJ. You probably look at the second tier quarterbacks being JJ McCarthy, Bo Nix, or um, as you said, Michael Penix. I think the perfect quarterback, if he was coming out, this would be uh, Deion Sanders' kid because of his athleticism. But he's not coming out this year, so the next best thing would probably be Penix. I just don't want Arthur Smith there. You know, no one wants Arthur Smith anywhere. But Jake, we're going to go to my first game, which was the arguably the best game on the entire slate. Cowboys, Eagles, the Cowboys taking them down, or excuse me, the Cowboys trying to take them down, ultimately falling up short. Eagles win it 28-23. And Jake, Jalen Hurts, he played solid, but... It wasn't all that explosive like, you know, we're used to seeing with Jalen Hurts. 17-23 for 207 and two touchdowns. And he did add on Tush Bush, the old joke. If you see him at the one, if you have a still image of him at the one, you already know he's gaining 6.1 fantasy points. And then no one really had a crazy game for Philadelphia. They did get 100 yards rushing on the back of DeAndre Swift, but he only had 43 leading the charge. And A.J. Brown, he did break 1,000 yards now in nine games. Fastest eagle to ever do that. Seven catches for 66 and a touchdown. And Devontae Smith had a big touchdown as well. But the story wasn't so much the Eagles, even though they did play really well. Like, really, really well. But I would look at it, Jake, and say that the biggest story was this was not on Dak. This is the game that we've wanted Dak to play. 29 of 44 for 374 and three touchdowns, but the O-line really did not help him out. He got sacked five times. He got hit another 10. The running game was non-existent. Tony Pollard led the charge with 12 carries for 51 yards. It's just showing that he's not the number one running back that we all thought he would be. But Jake, CeeDee Lamb has been on a roll. 11 catches, 191 yards, no touchdowns, but he was targeted 16 times. It's very clear that the only person on this offense that he trusts, Jake, is CeeDee Lamb consistently. I mean, Brandon Cooks only got targeted two times. Jalen Tolbert, who was in the dump last year and then the year before i believe he was not even looked at as a thought now they did have they had three sacks i mean micah parsons he had one and a half sacks he played all right but jake the story of this is 
are we sure that Dallas is at all viable in the playoffs? I think they'll make it, but are we sure that they're even a competitive team? With how Dallas has been the last almost 30 years since they've even made a championship game, I would trust them in a wild card, but the minute they get to the divisional, I would not. I would lose all trust because they are looking to take a shit in the playoffs, maybe get past the wild card, but they're going to be a one and done in, divi- in the division round, I believe. I think the MVP of this game, if you were looking at it from the winner's perspective being the Eagles, I think it'd be Brandon Graham coming on late and getting that back-to-back sack, even though the second one was a half sack because N'Kobe Dean got in there. Um, I think Brandon Graham pushing him back with those two sacks and rushing Dak in the pocket. Yeah, easy. And with the on the Cowboys, MVP would probably be Dak because, like you said, this is a game we've been wanting him to have. CD is CD. He's one. He's probably the third or fourth best receiver this year behind Tyreek and AJ Brown because of how good he has been playing and how complete he has. I think at the end of the day, the Eagles shown that they can play without a run game, but it is damn hard because there was some instances where it did not go well for them. No, and I think that's what they're missing. And this comes down to Jerry Jones saying that, hey, we could make a trade at the trade deadline. I like our team, but I will trade if a trade's available. You should have gone for Derrick Henry. I know I didn't want to see it. I'm glad he's not there. But, I mean, everyone was saying, Derrick Henry to Dallas. It makes sense. It's the perfect trade. They didn't pull the trigger. And I think this is what we're seeing. You don't have a consistent guy. You know, you don't have a consistent rusher. And you talked about Brandon Graham. I think that the biggest play that he made, Jake, was not the sacks. It was on the two-point conversion, making Dak go a little bit wider and Dak's foot going just out of bounds. But granted, Dallas did not help itself either with that shoemaker should have been touchdown, but wasn't. He was short of the line by an inch. That's just, I mean, he's a rookie, so there's not a whole lot you can, you know, it's hard to scold him, but it's just the little things like that. I don't have any trust for Dallas if they make the play, or if they make the playoffs, they probably will, but outside of that wild card, I could see him being one and done. But Jake, let's go to your second game which was Seahawks-Ravens. I don't want to talk about this one. Hmm. Ravens, hey, that's my game, not yours. Yeah, Ravens absolutely <clears throat> bludgeoning my Seahawks 37-3. Jake, what were your thoughts about this? Because I have a lot, but I want you to go first. They did not stop the run like me and you said they would have to do in private over the course of the week before the game was that they had to stop this rushing attack on the Ravens. And if not, they are going to get eaten alive. Uh, Keaton Mitchell having a rookie game from hell, nine carries, 138 yards and one touchdown. Gus Edwards, only five carries, but 52 yards and two touchdowns. Yeah, you'll take that every day of the week. This was just kind of a ass-whooping 
and not even a pretty ass whooping. This was a ass whooping on the grandest scale of getting an ass whooping. The only guy who really did anything for the freaking uh, Seahawks was Jackson Smith and Jigba. He got six catches and 63 yards. Besides that, DK had one big play, and that's it. Um, Mark Andrews still showing why he is one of the best tight ends in the league. The one thing that I am very surprised and happy to see is Kyle Van Noy is still great, and the Ravens are deploying him in such a great way. That kind of harkens back to his Patriots days. I mean... This year alone, he's gotten uh, two... In the last three weeks, he's gotten four sacks and three TFLs. And he's still in zone coverage and covering up running backs or even linebackers on certain routes. And he's doing a damn good job at it. He has been doing really well. But Jake, I excuse me just for one second because I, I got to rant a little bit on this one. Because I said it, it on the podcast. I said it on the podcast... If Seattle does not stop the running game, they had no chance of winning this game. Keaton Mitchell, Jake, did not have a single carry heading into this game. He did not have a single carry in the regular season. And he had a 15 yards per carry average. He had a 40-yard touchdown and then another 60-yard run that he would have been gone had he had any more juice left in the tank. Lamar had six yards per carry average. Gus Edwards, 10.4 yards a carry average. Combined, Jake, if they hadn't kneeled the ball down, they would have gotten 300 yards rushing. The kneel downs took them behind it. Mark Andrews was wide open regularly. I don't know what happened to the defense. They, they I think the defense just took the day off. I mean, Bobby Wagner and Jordan Brooks, yeah, they were making a bunch of tackles, but it didn't have the same impact. They weren't holding them short of, you know, they weren't holding them short. And I mean, Jake, when you allow a team to only get six first downs like Seattle had, the Ravens had 29. I mean... They went three of six for the red zone. That's something you could talk about being a negative, but the Ravens held the ball for 40 minutes. I, I don't know what else to put it as. I mean, they just, they dominated this. It wasn't even close. Now, I guess the one thing that you could look at if you're Seattle is you were able to get two turnovers on, you know, on the Ravens. You strip sacked Lamar. And you got Odell Beckham Jr. to fumble. But I mean, the defense had one sack, Jake, and zero quarterback hits on Lamar Jackson. Seattle went one for 12 on third down. You had no chance of beating this team. And I picked Seattle. I went out on a limb because I thought that if they were able to stifle the run game, there would be a chance of winning this. They did the exact opposite. They got mauled, and it looked like start of the third quarter. They quit. It was uh, it was an embarrassment as a Seahawks fan. My only hope is that we can see Seattle do just what the Lions did, 
which was get blown out by the Ravens and then come out and win a game pretty definitively. But I don't have the same confidence in Seattle like I did before. This was eye-opening. It really was, and I really don't know what to say because you are right. I still have confidence that Seattle can do something, but this game, shit. This this game made me lose a lot of faith slash hope for the Seattle Seahawks. There is one player that is that me and you have talked about before on this podcast that I think is not getting any love in the national media, and that's Geno Stone. The dude has six picks on the year, and he was a backup free safety behind Marcus Williams for the Ravens. He is playing like one of the top five free safeties in the league. And the way he keeps going, if he hits double digit, shit, it's not out of the question. No, it's not. It really isn't. But Jake, we're going to go to uh, my second game, which was the Sunday night football game. Bills, Bengals, Buffalo falling to Cincinnati 24-18. And this was a game that, to be honest, Jake, I thought it would be a lot more of a competitive game. I mean, you look at the score and it says it was, you know, pretty competitive. But, I mean, Joe Burrow, he just, he was basically doing whatever he wanted. They only sacked Joe Burrow once, and that's why 31 of 44, 348 yards and two touchdowns. The running game was not there, which obviously you can't have. I mean, Joe Mixon did have a rushing touchdown, but even still. But they made a very conscious effort in stopping Jamar Chase. He only had four catches for 41 yards, but T. Higgins... 8 for 110. And the tight ends, they this was a very delayed uh, national tight ends day for Cincinnati because both of their passing touchdowns were scored by tight ends, Irv Smith and Drew Sample, which I thought was honestly kind of funny. I was like, wow, they don't use tight ends at all. And they actually ended up getting, you know, they ended up doing it. Now, Cincinnati's defense, they only got one sack as well. But both quarterbacks, it looked like Josh Allen felt more pressure than Joe Burrow because Joe Burrow was just able to evade pretty easily. Now, on the Bills side, Jake, I mean, Stefan Diggs, he did what he did. But Dalton Kincaid out-targeted everyone, 11 targets, and he had 10 catches for 81 yards. I think that Dalton Kincaid, we're looking at, Jake, as the safety blanket for Josh Allen, like we've mentioned before, quarterbacks love the tight end as a security blanket because they're usually the biggest player on the field outside of an O-lineman. And Kincaid is really showing that he can be that guy. He can get open. He can make plays. He did have that fumble, which, you know, you definitely don't want. But Jake, if Josh Allen's going to be your leading rusher, it's exactly what we thought which was Buffalo, they're good. But I didn't pick them to win the division because they're too Josh Allen reliant. And this game kind of showed that. It really did. I think it's safe to say the Bengals are now the Bengals that we thought they'd be. Now that Burrow is fully healthy, they kind of shown that even if you cover up uh, our star receiver Jamar, 
We still got Tyler Boyd and we still got T. Higgins. Have fun, bitch. Uh, and don't forget about their tight ends. Drew Sample and Irv Smith both caught the only touchdowns from Joe Burrow. Great short yardage safety blankets that can do shit in the red zone. Um, Josh Allen really didn't... He got pressured quite a bit, but the Bengals only got one sack, which is a bit rare to see for a Lou Anarumo defense because usually he's really good at pressure packages. I think it was just because Josh Allen is so big and so strong. Girthy. That he can escape... Yes, he can escape the pocket and get rid of some of those potential sacks that 28 other quarterbacks in the league would have gotten hit with instead of he escaped it and either extended the play or rushed for some yards. Yeah, and that's basically why I can't trust Buffalo is because that's where those rushing yards come from is Josh Allen having to scramble because he's under pressure and Jake, can we just stop with the James Cook love that he was getting? Because he had one really big game, but six carries for 20 yards. I know he's not getting the volume, but even still, like you're getting six carries in a game that needed to be, you know, a passing game. That's what the game script called for was through the air because you were going to have to put up points. Even then, I mean, James Cook, he only had four catches for 19 yards. He caught all of his targets, but the the impact's not there with James Cook, which is just unfortunate. And these Bengals, it's really going to be a big deal, that Ravens-Bengals game coming up later, because that's may decide the division. Both the teams that I thought could win the division, I went with the Bengals over the Ravens. And... They, because these are the Bengals that I thought we were getting, which is just some dominant, dominant, you know, offense, a suffocating defense. And Jake, one final note, Cincinnati is now three and one at home. Buffalo is one in three when they are away. That is something mm-hmm. to keep an eye on because this is also showing that Buffalo, they make it into the playoffs. It might be as a wild card. I don't know if they can run the table because, you know, that that's that's a big telling thing. One in three away from Orchard Park, that's that's concerning. But Jake, you do have to remember a lot of those games away did come when they were not the Bengals that we thought they would be because Burrow was injured. So I will give them a pass on most of those games on the away side because they were hit with a lot of away games early on, but. As that was Buffalo, say, though. Yeah. Buffalo's the ones that are away. Josh Allen, he did have that one little nick, but he, for the most part, has been fine. That's why I think that Cincinnati's scary with their 3-1 and one record at home, because now Burrow's healthy. He had been playing mm. all those games when he was hurt. And that's why I say Buffalo going on the road in the playoffs, because they might be a wild card. Uh, that's not going to be good. But yeah, right. as I was saying, uh, going into our final game for our Eyes on 5 recap, it was the early morning game, and that was the Dolphins and the Chiefs. And Miami really put themselves in a hole, Jake. They were down 21 nothing. They do come back to make it 21-14, but a miss snap 
on the last play of the game, sealed it for KC. And Jake, my thoughts on this game was, thank God they actually were able to somewhat run the ball because this Miami defense really played a lot better than we might have thought. Because Mahomes, yeah, you look at the stats, 20 of 30, but only for 185 yards. His leading receiver had 34 yards receiving. Next to that was 33, and then two guys with 22. He was spreading the ball around a lot, but for the most part, they couldn't get anything explosive. And Rasheed Rice, Jake, again, more touchdowns. Now, he caught both of the targets that he had, but I would also look at that and say... Rasheed Rice, I'm hoping he breaks out, but Isaiah Pacheco grinding out some tough yards. 16 carries, 66 yards. Didn't have a touchdown, but it was really important because Tua and the Dolphins, they really, they it, this game should have been tied because the touchdown that sealed it to make it 21-0 was a fumble by Tyreek Hill, and then a lateral to Brian Cook, who raced down the sidelines. He was looking like Usain Bolt with how fast he was running. And that was, I thought that was basically going to be the game, Jake. I was like, up oh, 21-0, this game's probably over. But two in the Dolphins showed that, hey, we're in this. And Raheem Mostert, I think if the game script had allowed them to run the ball more, and they didn't have to abandon it a little bit, I think it could have been a very interesting game because Raheem Mostert had 12 carries for 85 yards. So, I mean, that's a pretty good, you know, yards per carry. I think that, Jake, the Dolphins, they do need to beat a team with a winning record because they are now 6-0 against under 500, 0-3 against teams with a winning record. Not good. And Tyree Kill, he's definitely going to need a bounce back game after, you know, honestly, pretty weak performance for his standards. Eight catches for 62 yards, but he did have that fumble, which really was the deciding factor in this game. Jake, I'm curious with you, are you surprised that the Dolphins defense was as formidable as it was? Because for the most part, they really weren't doing a whole lot earlier on in the season. Now, Kansas City, it seems like this team's defense is kind of what carries it. I mean, three sacks, six quarterback hits, and then you also have that fumble scooping score. Is Miami, Jake, Jake, is Miami still a contender in your eyes? Because I think that if they can't win a game against a team with a winning record, I don't know if they can win I, I think they'll win their division but I think they might be one and done in the playoffs and if they do it's gonna be really bad I think the story for them is Tua is staying healthy this entire year so far which I am very happy to see Tyreek Hill is playing out of his fucking mind considering this was a bad game for him with eight catches 62 yards yeah that's saying something it's just their other pieces cannot stay healthy. And I don't know if it's health or what when it comes to facing the top teams in the league and they just can't finish them off. Or even attempt to put up a good fight for an entire 
football game. They try to do so many things, and it's just kind of like, what are you doing? You are, you said it best. If they didn't abandon the run game, they would have been a lot better off. But they were down 21-0 at halftime. They had to throw the ball a lot. I think when um, De- Devin A-Chain comes back in week 11 or week 12... And if he can, and if him and Raheem can continue doing what they did earlier in the season, I think Dolphin can. I think the Dolphins can throw some games up against some of the top dogs in the league for the remaining half of the schedule that they have. But their schedule is not going to be easy. They are facing some pretty tough teams going into it, and their defense is getting reinforcements. Jalen Ramsey was in this game. Um. You're getting a lot of those big guys back. And Xavier Howard played as well. So you've got your top two corners back, finally. And when you shut Travis Kelsey down for three catches for 14 yards, that's pretty fucking good. Travis Kelsey was eighth on his team for yards. You don't see that often. They said, we're taking Travis Kelsey away from you. You can't do anything about it, so have fun. I think once you get your O-line healthy, I think you'd expect the Dolphins to be a lot better, but it's kind of one of those situations where I need to see him healthy and beat a good team before I say anything about them doing anything in the playoffs besides being one and done. Same here, but Jake, I do want to real quick bring this up. If you look at at the team stats, which don't really tell the whole story, but I feel like for this game, it's a little bit more telling. Kansas City was 3 of 10 on third down. The Dolphins were 3 of 12. The Dolphins ran 58 plays. Kansas City ran 56. Total yards, a 25-yard difference. They both had 11 possessions. Yards per play was different by 0.2, Jake. Mm -hmm. Both were perfect in the red zone. Both had penalties. Time of possession was separated by 48 seconds. The only difference was defensive touchdown for Kansas City. They played that close. And yet, to be honest, I did not think Miami was going to win this game. I know we both picked them, but watching that game, we picked them before. Watching that game... After halftime, I just went, if the Dolphins win this, it would be a miracle. Because Kansas City looked that good. And if you look at you look at the stats as a whole in the game, I would love to see this matchup again in the playoffs. But it would be interesting to see this on you know on US soil. I would love to see it in Narrowhead. I would really love to see it in Miami. I think that Kansas City has put themselves in a shape that they control their own destiny as far as getting home field. So we might still not see Mahomes play a road playoff game. We might never see Mahomes play a road playoff game or road AFC championship game. I don't think we ever will because he's been to five straight and they've all been in Arrowhead. But Jake, we're going to move past last week and talk about last night. Which, if 
you watch this game, I apologize because this might have been the worst game I have ever seen with my own two eyes. Carolina and Chicago, two teams that are going to be connected forever with Bryce Young. Chicago traded the first overall pick to Carolina. And now Chicago is looking like they might have the top two and three pick, Jake. Two and three, that's what they had currently heading into this game. And Chicago ended up beating Carolina 16 to 13. Ugh. Tyson Bajan, he played commendably, 20-33 for 162, no touchdowns, no picks, but he didn't get sacked at all. You couldn't say the same about Bryce Young, 21-38 for 185, no touchdowns, no picks, but he was sacked three times, and he was also hit another nine times. Dear Lord, that O-line is trash. Now, Jake, I think the tell of the tape for this game was Chicago's defense. And then also, Deontay Foreman had a very impressive game for the most part. 21 carries, 80 yards, and a touchdown. But he did also contribute two catches with 12 yards. I really thought, Jake, and this is kind of rare for me to say... This was probably one of the better games by a running back that I've seen, and the stats won't tell it because of how how he got those yards. Because for the most part, early on in this game, he was maybe getting two to three yards, not a whole lot, but late in the game, he was getting seven, eight, ten, six, seven. He was getting them in bunches. I think at one point he had... 15 carries for 62 yards. So you think about that. Six more carries for 18 yards, three yards per carry. But they were effective. And Carolina's rushing game was non-existent. 16 carries for 43 yards. They were asking Bryce Young to basically save them. And Adam Thielen, he was, he was around a lot in the first half. Kind of disappeared in the second. I think he maybe had two catches. And it really came down to just honestly, Jake, it came down to Cairo Santos and Eddie Pinheiro. Cairo Santos was more consistent. And Eddie Pinheiro, he shanked that last kick pretty bad. I know it was long. It was almost 60 yards, but it was shanked and it was short. And I hate blaming kickers, but to be honest, special teams cost it, cost them this game because they also had, I believe it was a false start on that field goal, which made it a 60 yarder. Really just unfortunate stuff for Carolina, but the hope, Jake, can you get Bryce Young some old linemen? The thing, the thing is, I don't blame Pinheiro on this. His career long is 56 yards. I blame Frank Reich for losing this game, or at least not tying it up and bringing it to OT. Because everything that should have happened is they should have gone at least a little bit further down the field to about the 55, 54, where Pinheiro can actually hit the damn thing. You're expecting a kicker that has never made a kick that far to hit it out of the blue. I didn't expect it to work, and when I saw 
them trying the 59, I just shook my head and think like, well, this is going to lose unless they get the grace of God with a freaking great amount of wind to help them. It, this game, ugh, and like you said, for anybody who watched it, I am sorry. The Bears had one good thing on defense. Their trade and paying of Montez Sweat doing pretty good work already. He had eight pressures this game, and he was making Bryce Young's life a living hell. He did not get any sacks, but when you have a guy that athletic going against a rookie and a crappy O-line, yeah, you're going to scare the little bastard. Yeah, and, well, I don't know about scare him, but definitely uh, mob him. And then, Jake, one other thing that you did actually bring up that I also want to co-sign I do put more of the blame on Frank Reich because while I was watching that game, when they were at third and 10, I genuinely thought that he would try and get more yards because in my mind, I know it was Bryce Young. And I said to the person I was watching with, I would not try and kick a field goal. I would try and get the touchdown because you're on the road. You've been doing nothing. Do you really want to play another 10 minutes? No, I would rather, because with third and 10, I have two downs. And Frank Greich, for an offensive coach, he did play very conservatively. And he put the hands in, he put the ball in the hands of his kicker. I mean, like I said, I don't like blaming kickers, but I mean, he did miss the kick. And it was nowhere near close. I do think that if he had been able to kick it from 55, he would have made it. But, you know, maker, they say NBA is a make or miss league. This one, unfortunately, it was also the case. But, Jake, we're going to move on to our midseason awards because, well, to be honest, everyone and their mother is doing midseason awards. But, Jake, we're going to start things off, of course, you know, the big one. MVP. Who's your MVP halfway through the season? A little over halfway. Uh, so far, it's kind of just eh. There isn't really any two or three dominant guys for MVP voting. It's like Christian McCaffrey started off hot as shit. Now it's just like, what the hell's going on now with him? But... If I had to pick, I'd probably go with Lamar Jackson, man. He is leading the league in completion percentage, has the most amount of rushing yards for a quarterback this season, and he's leading his team to a 7-2 record halfway through the year, and he has gave some pretty convincing wins. I don't know if he actually will get it, because we still have another half of the season to go, but that would be my MVP pick just because of how good he is playing. I don't know who else to really pick because Jalen Hurts, Mahomes, too many interceptions, and they're not playing like they did last year. Burrow, if he continues with what he is doing, has a chance. He would probably be my second one. Since he's, if he can stay healthy and play, continue playing the way he is, he is the one I'd pick for a second, for a, like number two. 
Who do you have for your MVP pick? Well, Jake, for my MVP pick, I mean, it's really difficult because of the fact that we really haven't seen, like you said, there hasn't been any really big breakout performances statistically outside of, well, this past week's uh, Nightmare Fuel Fantasy for me with 41 fantasy points from CJ Stroud. <sighs> Still won that game, though. Thank you. But, Jake, my MVP, for me, it has to be Tyree Kill. And the reason why is because there isn't that big, explosive, statistic, you know, monster that we're seeing through these first nine weeks. I have to go with moments, and I have to go with impact. Without Tyree Kill, the Dolphins are not 6-3. and three. You can argue that Tua is making Tyree Kill better, but I think it is much more the other way around. Because we saw Tua before without Tyree Kill, and he, was, he played well. But what we're seeing with Tyree Kill, Jake, is that he legitimately has a case of trying to get 2,000 yards. No one has, only two people have been anywhere near close. No one has ever thought 2,000 yards was a possibility. With what Tyree Kill did through the first eight weeks of the season, because keep in mind, this game was the game after he broke 1,000 yards receiving. He still is the league leader in receiving. I still look at Tyree Kill as my front runner for MVP, and the reason why is because I genuinely think he is going to get 2,000 yards receiving, and I think the other thing is, if you look at the statistics for Jalen Hurts, if he were to double what he has right now, I think it'd be something like 33-ish touchdowns and like 14 picks. There's no real big stat, like like I said, there's no real big stat monster. And so I, I look at it as impact, history, and then also moments. Tyree Kill has just been on a roll with all three. And for that, he's my MVP for the first half. But Jake, who is your offensive player of the year for the first nine weeks of the season? Uh, I'm actually taking Tyree Kill as my offensive player of the year. Um, he is doing great work. I don't think it's going to be enough to get MVP because a wide receiver has never won MVP. But Offensive Player of the Year? Oh, yeah. The only two players, in my opinion, that would really go for Offensive Player of the Year, in my opinion, is A.J. Brown and Tyreek Hill. I think Chris McCaffrey has a shot at it, but I think it's going to be those two receivers because of the historic pace of what they are doing. I think Hill has the best shot just because he does have the better stats, if Brown gets it, though, I wouldn't be shocked just because they're both already over a 1,000 yards and they're both on pace to break Calvin Johnson's record. Who do you have for Offensive Player of the Year? So for Offensive Player of the Year, I could say Tyreek Hill as well because he, if he wins MVP, he would probably win Offensive Player of the Year as well. But for difference sake, I would actually say A.J. Brown and it's for a similar reason of Tyreek Hill. Impact, history, and overall, Jake, A.J. Brown, this past game broke his streak 
for six straight games of 125 or more receiving yards. That is just insane. He was, Tyreek Hill, he was the league leader. He's still the league leader in receiving. But what A.J. Brown was is he was the hottest receiver because it was almost a lock that he was going to be 100 yards, 125 plus yards. Now, you can give credit to Dallas's defense for, I guess, sort of trying to force Philadelphia to look elsewhere. That's why Devontae Smith had the game that he had. But I would look at A.J. Brown being the offensive player of the year. And I think it's a very real possibility, Jake, that we don't have any quarterbacks winning Offensive Player of the Year or MVP. I think it's a real possibility. Now, my runner-up for this would probably be Christian McCaffrey, but because of the 49ers sort of skid right now, his touchdowns just haven't been as impactful, even though he still has, I think, a 19-game streak with a touchdown. But Jake... NFL record... NFL record, and he broke Jerry Rice's record. But, Jake, who is your defensive player of the year through the midseason? So, I actually am looking up, like, the betting odds for... Because defensive player is kind of like... The big three is Miles Garrett, Micah Parsons, TJ Watt. All very valid cases. But I'm going with one of my favorite players in the league and that's max crosby i knew it i think that statistically he is up there if not the top dog for pressure he's leading the league in pressures by at least five i think right now and he's the only guy on his defense really doing anything Miles Garrett has some help along that defensive line, the linebacker core. Micah Parsons has Demarcus Lawrence and Mozzie Smith and the rest of the interior D-line. And DJ Watt has Alex Highsmith and all the interior defensive linemen that he has as well. This guy is a one-man wrecking crew with no help. The other guys, yeah, okay, they are fantastic generational talents but i have to look at the pressures and i gotta look at this man doing everything by himself he is literally an entire defense for the raiders and if i had to go against the grain and not pick max crosby i would probably just pick miles garrett because he is having a fantastic season so far Nine and a half sacks, four for forced fumbles. He's just wrecking shit. But like I said, he's not, he is a one-man wrecking crew. But he has help. Crosby doesn't have anybody. You're right. And Max Crosby is having a phenomenal, phenomenal year. I He would be my number two right now. Because, Jake, my number one, my defensive player of the year is actually Miles Garrett. And it's sort of for your same reason. But while you say he does have help, and he does, in fairness, he does have help. If you look at that Colts game, he single-handedly won that entire game for them. He had two strip sacks, one being in the end zone, which led to a touchdown. He also was able to block a field goal jumping over the line 
had he not done that, I mean, Jake, he, you could argue that's a 17 point swing off of three plays that Miles Garrett made. And he is the biggest reason why this Browns defense is as good as it is. You can point to Denzel Ward being a very good corner, and he is. You can point to Greg Newsom. He's also pretty good. But Jake, the straw that stirs the drink is Miles Garrett. If Miles Garrett was not playing how he is, then the Browns wouldn't even have a winning record like they have right now. Miles Garrett is just, he's different. Now, Max Crosby, also different. TJ Watt, also different. Micah Parsons, also different. But Mike, Micah Parsons was my prediction for this year. And while he has played well, I think that Miles Garrett has just surpassed him. And my runner-up, Max Crosby, I think that, like you said, because he is basically their only big player outside of maybe Robert Spillane, who has been impactful, I think that he would be probably the number two for me. I think he will finish probably second. And I think Micah might finish third or fourth behind TJ Watt. But, Jake, we're going to have now our two special awards. And one of them is the Who the Fuck Award. And the WTF. And the Who the Fuck Award goes to the player who... Who the fuck are you? Where did you come from? We... And, Jake, I think it's unanimous. It's it's Puka Nakua. Easy. <laughs> it's Puka Nakua. And I'm going to give my reasons, but you go ahead and give yours first. I mean, Pukunakua was a fifth-round pick. I listened to a podcast called Bootleg Football, and I knew about Puka very early in the process. And he's also a former Washington kid as well. I believe he played for the Huskies. He did. But he did have injury issues, so he did transfer to BYU, correct? Yes. So, he... Fell to the fifth round because of injury issues, but when the Rams drafted him, the bootleg guys literally said, he is going to be the Robert Woods for this offense. He is going to do everything that Robert Woods did, and that's going to be his role. Not even them, who are massive Puka Nakua fans before he even showed what he could do in the first half of the season, did not see this coming. They have been singing praise at him, kind of like how me and you have. He has come out of nowhere. He has shown that he could be a number one receiver in this league. He still is a rookie. He has some things to work on to become a true alpha. But shit. He's close to an alpha as you can get as a rookie. And the way he continues to play, if he breaks the the receiving yard record for rookie, it wouldn't shock me because he already has, I think if I remember right, 785 receiving yards, somewhere in the mid to high 700s, halfway through the season. If your number two is putting that up in any offense throughout the entire year, you are happy with that. 800 yards and his production as a number two just for for a full season not even counting he's a rookie you would take that 
No, he is halfway through the season with these type of stats as a rookie. The sky is the ceiling for this fucking kid, man. Absolutely. And Jake, you want to talk about a player that is just running through things? He is fourth in receptions, and he is fourth in receiving yards. His only downside is he just hasn't gotten a ton of touchdowns. Now, he did have a massive touchdown in the game that they won against the Colts in overtime. That was his second touchdown. Or no, that might have been his first touchdown of the year at, and as a rookie. But Jake, when we when we weren't rolled around and we saw Puka play, he went off against my Seahawks. 10 catches, I think it was like 140-something yards. I sent you a text saying... If Puka Nakua finishes in the top five in receiving for the NFL, I will buy a Puka Nakua jersey. And when I sent you that, there was a part of me that went, there's no way he's going to do that. It's a rookie. Because Cooper Cup was going to be coming back. He followed that game up with 15 catches and like 140 yards like 149 yards he was he had broken i believe in the first three games jake he had broken every he had broken the rookie reception record that you would have had through the first five games in i think three. it was four possibly four but jake puka nakua what i think is the biggest telling thing for him is you said he you said the you know the bootleg football crew said he could be the Robert Woods. There are times he is looking like the Cooper Cup. Now Cup, he's obviously you know he's phenomenal, but Puka Nakua basically became Cooper Cup for those first four games, and we thought that when Cup came back, Puka would you know disappear. He would fade off into the sunset. He's sometimes out-targeting. He's out-targeting Cooper Cup. That just shows you the trust that Matthew Stafford has in this kid. I think, Jake, that we're just watching the beginning of a potential all-time great in Puka Nakua. I know it sounds like hyperbole, but when you watch the way he runs routes and the way he fights through contact he's 6'2 and he didn't look all that big but he's about 6'2 200 pounds and he's stout it's easily puka nakua as the wtf player of the entire year i don't think that's going to change because no one exploded onto the scene like this kid and devon a chan he'd be the runner-up probably and yet he was just phenomenal. But Jake, our final award, another one that we created, and it's the Damn Award, which is basically a player that came out of nowhere, maybe had been in the league for a little while, and you just didn't realize they were this good. Who is your Damn Award winner? Mm, my Damn Award winner would probably be Zach Moss, just because... When you were filling in for a former rushing yard leader in the last two years, on the in this case, Jonathan Taylor, um, yeah, he's second in the league in rushing right now. 
he's not gonna be that speedy bursty kind of guy you can say he's a little you know he he, he, he has so he, he has, has a little fat he has, he's a little fat. he has some he has some twitch but he's more of your classic downhill runner and he's not as big of a freak as derrick henry is but zach moss is doing everything he can with the carries he is given Second in the league in rushing when you were projected to be the backup to Jonathan Taylor. Uh, yeah, have yourself a year, kid. He's on pace to be right around 1250, 1300 yards. Now, with Jonathan Taylor coming back, I think he'll eclipse 1,000 yards, maybe get 1050, 1100, unless he has a couple of more monster games. But I think pushing 1100 when Jonathan Taylor's coming back and kind of he's kind of getting back into form now. He's not all the way back yet. But Zach Moss has kind of proven that like if we didn't have if we didn't give Jonathan Taylor that contract, we had a good running back in the back and behind him. So it's kind of just damned if you do, damned if you don't. Because you got two great running backs, and when you can take one, when you can take carries off of one running back and give them to another, and extend the NFL life of those two running backs that are still young in their prime, you were doing great. You're right, and I had said that Zach Moss was going to be my damn award winner. But Jake, as you were talking, I was thinking about it, and for me. I'm actually going to change mine. My damn award winner is Raheem Mostert. Because when Raheem Mostert, we saw him on the Dolphins. He was there last year, got hurt. And he's had a history of knee issues. It's really interesting, Jake, because early on, we thought that Raheem Mostert would probably get hurt. And then we'd see more Jeff Wilson, more Savan Ahmed maybe some HN before we realized how good he was, but we kind of looked at Raheem Mostert as, yeah, he's solid, but he's probably going to get hurt and we're not going to see him probably for the rest of the year. Jake, Raheem Mostert has just been on another level this year than anything we've seen, which is just shocking to me. And the reason why I'm shocked by it is because we knew that Raheem Mostert was fast, and we knew that he could score touchdowns. He had, I think, four rushing touchdowns in that championship game against your Packers when Jimmy Garoppolo beat you. But I think that looking at Raheem Mostert, Jake, we didn't see the type of games that he has had any time before. He's had monster games over... 150 yards rushing, two touchdowns, getting two touchdowns through the air. He has been just a game wrecker. And now while he slowed down a little bit due to HN being hurt, and now they can completely hone in on him, I still look at Raheem Mostert. And I'm also going to bring it up from a fantasy standpoint, Jake. For, a, for like the first seven weeks, he was RB1 in PPR leagues, which was unheard of. No one thought that Raheem Mostert, of all people... Now, you could make an argument, Chubb got hurt, Derrick Henry, he has no offensive line at all. You know, you have Jonathan Taylor not coming back. 
until what week five i think but raheem mostert if you had said his name and you had said oh i got raheem mostert in fantasy most people would have rolled their eyes he has absolutely shown that he is a workhorse he is a monster running back because of his speed and his ability to catch the ball and when devon chan comes back this rave or excuse me this dolphins offense might get back to what it was doing and maybe be able to do it against the big teams and that's why he's my damn award winner but jake we're gonna switch things forward to our eyes on five preview and jake what is your first game of week 10 what are you going to be keeping your eyes on so my game my first game is it's not a dumpster fire but it's not a game that the national media is going to have a lot of attention on and that is the tennessee titans versus the tampa bay buccaneers i want to see more from will levis if he can show more of what he did in his first week and he didn't look bad his second start he looked pretty decent he didn't look anywhere near what he did the first week but hell if you're asking a rookie in his first two starts to throw four touchdowns eh, that's not gonna happen but tampa bay coming off of a loss a very upsetting loss i would imagine for them going against the texans last week I think they're looking to have a bounce back, and Baker played his ass off against the Texans. I think Baker is going to continue playing at least pretty decent football, and I'm kind of excited what this Tennessee D-line is going to do against the Tampa Bay offensive line, because Tristan Wirfs is still a damn good tackle, and Jeffrey Simmons has been putting it on fire these last few weeks. If Simmons and Landry can get after the quarterback, I think the Tennessee Titans have a good chance of winning it because the Buccaneers on defense, their secondary is still banged up. And Levis could take advantage of that. And when you have a savvy guy, savvy, savvy veteran receiver in DeAndre Hopkins, I think he'll do just enough. I think Jacob Conco is not going to have to be a factor in this game. Levante is going to take him out. And if Levante doesn't, Devin White has looked really good in coverage this year. So I like the defensive matchups, except for like the big alpha receiver that Hopkins is versus the number one corner that the Buccaneers have in Jamel Dean. I think there's going to be a lot of double double coverage uh, over his way. Oh, there's going to have to be because Levis is going to be looking to fling it to DeAndre early, often, and very late. Jake, I like the Titans in this game mainly because of the fact that I think that while Baker has performed admirably, the defense has been getting carved. This is not the same defense that we have seen from Tampa Bay, and you can argue it's just plain age. But I would also argue that they just honestly, outside of their linebackers, they really don't have a ton of talent. I mean, Shaquille Barrett's very good. Vita Vea is fantastic. But 
you know, outside of that, I mean, you you can name four maybe impactful players, but then the rest you're basically kind of relying on because Vita Vea is not necessarily a sack artist, and Shaq Barrett, you can sort of slide the protection to him. I think that the Titans, if the Buccaneers are going to win this game, they will probably have to dirty this game up, but I don't think they're capable of that because their running game is just awful. They haven't been able to run the ball, Jake, for the last, like, three years. I And I don't think anything's going to be changing anytime soon. In order for the Titans to win this game, if Levis can have a game sort of in the middle of what he had for his first two games, because he didn't necessarily play terrible against Pittsburgh, he did have the pick to end the game, but overall, he was under a lot of fire, and he showed that he's willing to stand in and, you know, take the heat, maybe to a fault, but I think that we may not see four touchdowns, but I don't think we're going to see no touchdowns and a pick. I think that, I mean, Tennessee, you're getting a point on the betting line. I would absolutely take Tennessee and the points because Tampa Bay only Tampa Bay favored by one. That's, that's not a whole lot. Vegas is saying that we barely believe in Tampa being better than Tennessee. But Jake, moving on to my first game, uh, you want to talk um, dumpster fires? <laughs> Jake, I'm going to be keeping my eyes on the Packers and the Steelers. Jordan Love, Jake, he's not good. He's not the answer for your Packers. And I don't think he ever will be an answer for anyone. I think what we're seeing is they traded up in that draft for a backup. And you pissed off your star quarterback with that because you sat him for three years. And, you know, I kept, I honestly forgot he was back there for a little while, Jake. I was like, oh, wait, that's right. They have Jordan Love. When are they ever going to play him? Now, he showed, I guess, a little promise this past week against the Rams. But if you think about the Rams, Jake, the Rams are Aaron Donald and a bag of chips on defense. I think that the Steelers defense with Cam Hayward now back, and I'm pretty sure now he'll have a full game under his belt. I'm scared for Jordan Love with that O-line being kind of mid. Now, George Pickens, this is the kind of game that he could definitely go off in. Now, Jair Alexander, he's still a fantastic corner for the Packers. And they did show that Rasul Douglas isn't that big of a loss, but they were also going up against Brett Rippon. I think that Jordan Love is at least a little bit better than that, but not enough to beat them. Pittsburgh's favored by three and a half, Jake. I think that's going to be a point spread that I would take the Steelers in, even though this could be a very ugly game. But Jake, are your Packers just kind of toast? <sighs> you could definitely make an argument with that. I mean, Aaron Jones, he came back. He did pretty good, but, oh, that fumble he had was ugly as shit. I think that Aaron Jones is starting to show his age a little bit. You have A.J. Dillon. I'm thinking, like, well, we got one running back that's still pretty good but showing age, and we got one running back that's young that is showing he is shit. I still love A.J. Dillon. I have 
the a minuscule bit of faith that he can be something, but oh my god. I'm not giving up hope on Love yet. He does have next year under contract as well. So if next year he sucks ass, throw him. Get a quarterback. If you suck ass enough, uh, come on down, Deion Sanders kid. And yeah, very true. We get, how do you pronounce his first name? Shadur. Sh Shadur. Okay, thank you. I was going to butcher that without you saying that, so thank you. If we get Shadur Sanders in next year's draft, oh, you're talking about a quarterback that is 4-5, mid 4-5, high 4-5, really good arm and accurate. Oh, I like that. I would say, even though I know the Packers won't draft a receiver in the first fucking round. Never. This Yes. I think Romeo Dubs, Luke Musgrave, and Christian Watson are a good trio. But with Christian Watson showing so far, I think he's a good two. I don't know if he's going to be a one. Is there still time for him to develop into a one? Of course. It's only his second year, and he only played half the season his rookie year and showed so many flashes. I think if Dobbs is your three... Watson is your two, and Musgrave is and Tucker Craft are your one and two at tight end. And I don't think they're going to get Marvin Harrison. They would have to lose the rest of the games in this season to have a snowball's chance in hell at Marvin Harrison Jr. But th there's still a bunch of receivers in this class that are still really good. If they get the Washington kid, um, yeah, I would love that. Like, if there are... Three Washington State Huskies that I would love for them to get. If they got Penix, I'm thinking, okay, let them sit behind Love. And if Love does continue to suck ass in his second year, okay, you have Penix. Let's see what the lefty can do. If they get the receiver from Washington, I would love it. He is projected to be the second or the third best receiver in this draft. Or the offensive tackle that could be a guard as well from Washington State. We need tackle help. I think Elton Jenkins is healthy enough that it won't be like a David Bakhtiari situation. I like our center. I like um, Zach Tom. And I think that there's enough to work with on the rest of the line. You just need that left tackle. I love Bakhtiari, but my God, that one fluke injury he had like three years ago has fucking ruined a Hall of Fame career. I just think that at the end of the day, the Packers need to figure shit out or just, I wouldn't say tank, but sit your precious people. Yeah, I, I understand what you're coming from with that. Um, I feel like we both ended up getting therapy sessions during this uh, during this podcast because I got to rant about my Seahawks and you needed to break down what your uh, Packers needed because I I can tell that that's been sitting there for a while, dude. <laughs> yeah. But Jake, we're gonna move on to your second game, which I believe you said was Browns Ravens. Yes, this is a game I am 
very much looking forward to. I want to see what Miles Garrett does against Lamar Jackson. You have the, I would say the second, both the second freakiest quarterback in the league with Lamar Jackson. I think number one, we can both agree as we are Anthony Richardson truthers. He is the most freakiest quarterback. No question. In the league and arguably in NFL history. But Lamar Jackson, like I said earlier, as my MVP midseason, he is leading the league as a quarterback in rushing yards in for all quarterbacks. And he is leading the league in completion percentage at 72.1 or 71.8, if I remember right. That is phenomenal. His receivers are starting to pick things up. They are playing good, and they are playing fast, and they are playing really good football. All of the ones you see on the defensive side of the ball, that defense is playing very good for the Ravens. You are talking about two top five units in the league right now going against each other. Um, I don't know if we are going to see Deshaun Watson in this game or if he's going to be out again, but I think it's going to be either, I think it's going to be a mixture of heavy defense with some shot puts. I think it's going to be mid twenties for both of them. I think the Ravens come out on top. Probably by like five points, but not a full touchdown. Well, Jake, uh, the the injury report is saying that Deshaun Watson will be playing. And what I'm also seeing is the Ravens are favored by six and a half. So the Browns would actually cover if they only won by five. I think this is going to be a very low-scoring game. The over-under is 38.5. I think this could very well be a 17-10 game. Both defenses muddy things up, make it ugly. Maybe a Gus Edwards touchdown late to win it. Jake, the Browns need this one in order to have any chance to win the division because it's still not out of the realm of possibility. They are... They would then only be, I think, a half game back behind the Ravens. But if the Ravens win this, it's basically, they could basically seal up the division almost. And they would be able to then focus on home field because they have the same record as the Chiefs. And I'm pretty sure that they would then also have a better record but then uh, the Jaguars. Now, granted, the Jaguars have had their bye. I don't believe that the Ravens have yet. I think next week might be their bye. But I think, Jake, the Ravens are going to win this game. I don't think, though, it is going to be a high-scoring affair. Now, I would definitely look for Miles Kert to have a massive game if the Browns are to win this. And then on the Ravens side, I would be looking at Justin Matabike shutting down 
the Browns ever revolving door of running backs, considering you have, you know, Jerome Ford, not all that great. Uh, Kareem Hunt, he's, I don't know if he's ever healthy anymore, but I think that, yeah, the Ravens are going to win this one. But Jake, we're going to move on to my second game, which is I'm waking up incredibly early. It is going to be Mactoberfest. The Patriots are in Frankfurt in Germany, taking on Gardner Minshew and the Colts. Jake, over under on the blood alcohol level for the air at this game, because that's basically what they're going to need for in order to watch this game. I mean, the only thing that we can basically get excited for is Jonathan Taylor potentially breaking mm -hmm. off a big run. Kenny Moore maybe getting a pick six. <laughs> Zach Moss maybe having an impact. But if you look at the Patriots, Jake, they're two and seven. I genuinely think that they honestly should just shut things down because I think that they want to move off Mac Jones. I really do. I think that they want to look for a new quarterback, maybe keep Mac as a backup or just let him walk. I think that you might have two teams look at Mac Jones. Other than that, he'd probably be looked at as more of a high-quality backup. But for the Colts, Jake, I mean, they're pretty much out of the division hunt, but they're not out of the, out of the realm of a wild-card spot. I l think that the Colts need to win this game in order to keep pace with the Texans, who definitely is going to be in the running for a wild card spot and the Steelers who also are going to be in the running because I think that the Texans have a real chance of beating the Bengals and I definitely think the Steelers are going to beat the Packers. Now, the Indianapolis is favored by 2. I don't know if I would bet on this game. I would probably take the Colts to win, but Jake, what are your thoughts? Um, Oktoberfest 2.0, baby. <laughs> um, at least the Germans will have the alcohol to soothe the, um, how can I put this politely? Shit show this game is going to be. Uh, New England's fucking season was starting off really bad from the get-go. And then, a few weeks into the, the season... Matthew Judon goes down with injury. You lose your star rookie in Christian Gonzalez, who was playing phenomenally. Uh, Colts aren't without their own injuries. Anthony Richardson kind of going down for the year. Shit. I think that Gardner Mitchell is going to get hit a lot. But I think the Indianapolis Colts running game is going to do just enough to win this game. Um, it's probably going to be low scoring, but there's going to be a lot of rushing yards from the Colts. I don't know really what to say about the Patriots. I agree with you. I think McCorkle Jones is good as a high tier backup, but I don't know if they're going to move off of him or just keep him as that backup and try to get a first round quarterback this year or what? I mean, hell, there's rumors that freaking Belichick could be out, but... I don't know what to say. It's going to be a shit show. It just depends on which team is going to win this shit show. I think the Colts have, or the Colts are my pick to, so they can get back to 500. 
But the Patriots, the way they are going, eh, top five pick is not out of the option. Now, Jake, what do you think the over-under is on this game? For total points? Yes. 34.5. 42.5. That is above Saints-Vikings and just below 49ers-Jaguars at 44.5. That is just mind-boggling. Yeah, I would have guessed fucking mid... Like I said, 34.5 was mine. Now, Jake, on to our final game, the shared game, and it is the best game on the docket. Now, there are some good ones, Lions-Chargers, but it has to be the 49ers heading down to Florida to take on the Jaguars. And Jake, we are basically looking at two quarterbacks who could not be more different, but both ending up in a very interesting situation. You look at Trevor Lawrence... He was the golden child, literally. Those long, luscious, blonde locks. Sunshine. Um, number one quarterback in high school. Number one quarterback in college. Number one quarterback in the draft. And he has been looking every bit like that. I think the stats don't scream the throws that he can make. The plays he can make with his legs. He is a very impactful player. And he's doing it with a very inconsistent number one receiver in Calvin Ridley, who basically looks like he's betting the under on himself every game because he looks like he will he can have 100 yards or can, he can have a nothing burger. In contrast, though, Jake, you look at Brock Purdy, last pick in the draft, he rattles off 10 games, 10 wins in a row, and now he has lost his last three. Now, you could argue that he should have won the Browns game. He did have them in position to kick the field goal to win. Just didn't make it. But, Jake, I think that the Niners need this game because Seattle is playing the Commanders, and Seattle should be able to beat the Commanders. The Jaguars are no, they're not an easy out. The Niners need this game to try and maintain a lead in the division because right now i think seattle might have it barely either that or the niners have it barely but the niners need this game because the nfc west is a lot more competitive than the afc south the jaguars should be able to win their division no problem but jake i think i would probably take jaguars here niners are favored by three and a half but what are your thoughts um I'm going to take the Jags in this one because I think that Evan Ingram is really developing as that safety blanket for Trevor Lawrence. And my first question is, where the hell was this Evan Ingram with the Giants? Uh, I think that Evan Ingram is going to do good enough against the zone coverage. Now, how he plays against Dre Greenlaw or Fred Warner or even Talanoa Hufunga. Those big three are probably going to be the options you're going to be looking at to stop Evan Ingram. I think Evan Ingram's going to get his own catch. He's, he's going to get his own in there. But I think one of those three is going to get their hits in too. Um, I'm curious how they're going to stop Bayouk. And I think Foyasad and Chad Muma are going to be decent enough to stop Kittle. But 
I don't know who you have to stop Ayuk. That's going to be the big one in this game. Um, they have the linebackers and safeties to, to at least slow McCaffrey down, but they don't have a, a true corner to stop Ayuk. And besides that, pass rush is minimal outside of Josh Allen for the Jags. So, I mean, they might get a sack or two on... Um, the Niners, but I think it's going to be, a, I wouldn't say a low scoring affair. I would probably say like 21-24 would be the final score for me and the Jags would win it by a field goal, by a late field goal. Uh, I'm looking to see if I can find any update on Tyson Campbell. I'm not able to find one, but I do think that if he is able to play, then that is going to be a massive help for this Jacksonville defense, which Easy. has been playing stouter, but at the same time, they very well could lose this game. But Jake, real quick, before we wrap up our eyes on five, let me get your game picks again. Okay, I have Jacksonville, I have the Ravens, I have the Titans... Um, I have the Colts and I have, I can't believe I'm going to my Packers, but I have the Steelers. Jags, Titans, Colts, Steelers, and Ravens? Yes. Alrighty. So for my picks, I am going to take the Colts. I am going to take the Titans. I'm going to take the Jaguars. I will take the Ravens as well. And I'm missing a game. Oh, I will take the Steelers. So I think we are actually in agreement. Now, this worked out barely last time. We did finish 3-2. This past week, we both finished 3-2. I got the Vikings right. You got the Ravens right. And we both missed on the Dolphins because I don't think we expected 21-0 and then them trying to come back. But Jake, for our closing thoughts real quick, and this one's just going to be a little bit funny because of something you sent me, Jake. How do you think Kyler Murray is going to play in his season debut with the fact that Call of Duty launched this week? I think think Kyler is getting sick and tired of his of the reputation surrounding him and I think he's going to come back from injury and just say fuck you to all of his haters um I think the Falcons are going to be in a world of hurt because now that the Cardinals have their quarterback back oh shit they have already been playing a way way better than what we thought they would because they're playing with a lot of guts and they're playing their asses off for that coaching staff. Now that Tyler, their leader is back under the helm. I think the Cardinals could look at potentially, I'm not going to say get out of a top five pick, but maybe Murray might give the Cardinals enough reason not to draft a quarterback. It's an if, though. I, I think it's possible. I think that 
if the Cardinals win, I don't know if it'll be because of Kyler Murray. I would look at it more being Arthur Smith deciding that Jonu Smith needs more sweeps at the goal line and more catches than literally everyone else. And he'll he's going to forget that Bijan Robinson, Kyle Pitts, and Drake London all have pulses in favor for Tyler Algier, Jonu Smith, and whatever receiver he finds on waivers. But... I do think, Jake, that you are right in that Kyler is probably sick of the video game reputation, but I will say this, you did kind of bring it on yourself when you decided to appear on the cover of a magazine with FaZe Clan. Not the greatest look there, buddy, but I think that's going to wrap things up for this episode of Run Past the Brain Cell. You can check us out on iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. And for Jake Miller, I'm Adam Skirko. We'll see you next time. Take care. Take it easy.